Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. And I am joined by the Machiavellian, Motivated, and Maverick, Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I am back from Gen Con, and there was such a great sense of community there. And I feel a, still feel a great sense of community, Chris, and I can't figure out why I can't shake this. I mean, I, it could be because we have the, the merciful Lisa, uh, Lisa Chen here, and also the estimable Alan Patrick. Thank you both for coming on to the show. Yay! Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Uh, you mean we have the community managers of the Adventures League here? That is exactly what we have here, and that's why you feel that sense of community, Sean. You can you can all, bask in the aura. All to ourselves. All to ourselves, which is okay. Weird. I don't know. want to share them with all our listeners. I mean, they're they're wonderful people. I just want to keep them. Sean, that's not how this works, man. We talk to people so know. that everybody else can okay. hear them. All right. You okay with that? Can we do that, please? We can do that. Let's I mean, do it. You are the Mad Wizard Merwin, so I don't want to get on your bad side because bad things usually happen then. Understood. So uh, we do have two-ish sort of announcements here. Uh, as of the start of recording today, uh, Lost Tales of Mithranor is now available print-on-demand through DMs Guild. That was our convention exclusive that we started at Gen Con 50. Mm -hmm. So we've already sold a couple copies. It's up there. It's ready to go. The other thing... For those that are going to be joining us at Gamehole Con, we are running an Extra Life charity streaming game. This that's what I, sorry. That's what I thought you guys were going to, that's what I thought you were referencing when you were asking about the streaming thing. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, so five of my six players are the other five admins, and I will be DMing them. Uh, they're going to be playing iconic characters from the Adventures League content, so they'll be playing key NPCs that many, many, many players have already interacted with such as Elisand, the, uh, the, the dastardly chosen, the little girl that, that Greg created. <laughs> uh, and we've, yeah, it's, it's, it's a riot. We did a test game at Origins, and it was a bunch of fun. Nice. Uh, but I'll be damning that. And our sixth player, uh, I just got signed up today. They're not quite ready to reveal that person's name because they have some other announcements they want to make. Uh, but it is another key NPC from D&D uh, Hardcovers, and I am ecstatic to be uh, running a table for them. Fantastic. Cool. So that'll be streamed and everyone around the world will be able to watch it. We have both uh, Lisa and Alan, so I suppose we should just get right into it. And our topic for the day is the State of the Adventurers League. Sean, where do you want to start? I want to start by having Lisa introduce herself, even though she's been on the show already. Some of our listeners may be new and they may have no idea who Lisa is if they're not Adventurers League participants. So Lisa, could you... Give us a little bit about yourself. I'm Lisa, and I'm talking just to you, Sean. Thank you. <laughs> but in case you, Sean, have forgotten who I am, uh, I am one of the community managers for the Adventurers League. I'm also a Dungeons & Dragons writer, and I host and produce a podcast called The Hold Her Podcast, which is all about women in tabletop RPGs. Excellent. A great show. Oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, and I, I guess I, I, I forgot, I'm also, uh, for folks who watch the D&D Twitch, I play Mercy on the show Hell's Bells every Sunday night. Another great show. 
Thank you for that introduction. And Alan, I know it's going to be a hard act to follow, but let's see what you've got. I am Alan Patrick. I'm one of the community managers for the Adventurers League. I lurk around in the word mines every now and again, uh, extracting little nuggets of wisdom and sometimes joy if you're really fractured like I am. Uh, it's it's a good time. I, I've met a lot of really awesome people uh, as, as players, as DMs and show organizers. And uh, I'm really, really excited to be here to talk to you guys. We have some cool announcements coming up. And uh, yeah, there's... Uh, there's good people here today. I'm really, really happy to be here. Well, thank you. Chris, anything that you want to get out of the way uh, before we get into the really probing questions? Yeah, sure. I will, uh, I'll just say one thing, um, I guess, as far as uh, D&D goes. Uh, for the people that like to listen to podcasts, I ran into a gentleman named Zach Goins at Gen Con. He runs a podcast called A, a Bite of D&D. It's a very cool little short-form show. They have about 30... 30-ish episodes right now. Each episode is between uh, 15 and 30 minutes long. Give it a listen. It's good stuff. All right. That's all. Okay. We got that out of the way. And so what I want to talk about first was sort of uh, get a, a sense from both of you how the Adventures League is doing in, in terms of, A, previous editions and previous campaigns and b how it's doing with this booming uh D, D fad that's going on right now um and either one of you can jump in uh, however you're comfortable to to kind of answer that broad question looks like lisa has thoughts um well <laughs> i'm i am the bb admin in that this is my first year and I'm relatively new to d and I've only been playing about three years now. Uh, so I can speak to the booming fad because I feel like it's thanks to that that I'm playing D&D and helping out with the Adventurers League at all. Um, and I know that the Adventurers League is definitely growing because of this increased interest in Dungeons and Dragons and this interest in streamed shows. Uh, when I was running and organizing my Adventurers League night, we would get so many new people through the door who would say things like, I watch Critical Role or I really love dice camera action. All of my friends do, but none of us know how to actually play D&D. And we heard that this was a good way to learn. And so we would get people who would come in already love the game and just learn the mechanics, just learn the rules and grow comfortable in that through the Adventurers League. I feel like because all of our games are AL legal, almost everyone who's a player there has a really good groundwork of what like the base actual rules of the game are. So it's a good place to pick that up before you start like creating your own homebrew rules. And some people would stay in the Adventures League because they loved that experience. And some people would take that and go start DMing homebrew campaigns for their friends, which as long as we're growing D&D and people are having a good time, I think that's amazing. It is. And it's funny, uh, just before I let Alan speak, last night on the Colbert, or not the Colbert Report, but the Colbert, uh, Stephen Colbert show, Joe Manganiello was on spending the whole almost 10 minutes of his interview talking about Dungeons and Dragons, not just in general, but like they were rolling dice and talking about meat grinder mode death saves from from Tomb of Annihilation. And I thought, well, we have arrived. <laughs> yeah, that interview was 
so cool. The one thing that I feel like we still need to work on is that audience was not appreciating how cool Joe's D&D basement is. Oh, yes. <laughs> Their level of astonishment was not high enough, so we still have more work to do. But that interview made my like face crack in half. I was smiling so hard. <laughs> Same here. And how about you, Alan? Uh, anything to add? Yeah, uh, this 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 fad as it is, it's it's not like the fad of the old days where it was people gathered around, the, uh, you know, sitting in a circle down the basement and doing, you know, but playing the game. We can see that if we look at things like Stranger Things, or we think back to, for those of us that have been in the hobby for a while, uh, how a lot of us started, right, living in the basement basically for an entire weekend, rolling dice, making up stories. But now, all of these awesome things have moved out into the daylight. Uh, game stores are popping up all over the place. Play numbers are up all over the place. Uh, you just came back from Gen Con. I mean, that was nuts. It was, what, like 6,700 unique D&D players? Yeah, close to that. Yeah, that's, that's huge. You were running, I, I think you kept out at like 95 tables simultaneous or something crazy. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, BMG, Baldwin Games was telling me you guys had t like tables out in the hallway and in the next room over. Mm -hmm. uh, that's crazy. That's awesome. I love seeing that sort of stuff. And that also helps grow the industry, which in that already sounds huge, right? But it helps grow the industry because people go to Gen Con, they see these awesome things happening, and they're like, I want to have that in my hometown or in my area. And now you have new organizers coming up and stepping up and helping deliver that experience to their friends, their, their neighbors, their peers, and perpetuating that, that shared game experience. Like Lisa said, you know, the, the, the players and DMs that show up, they all have this common grasp of the baseline rules. And this helps spread that all over the place. So we see different variations of play uh, cropping up now. We've got events that are happening in museums. We had D&D at a castle over the summer uh, at the castle in France. Uh, there's the, uh, out in the greater Seattle area, there's the D&D summer camp for girls uh, run through one of the local schools, actually. And uh, you know, we've got some like Boy Scouts of America, Girl Scouts of America, troops that are now actually doing like how to design games using D&D as a base. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really cool to see so much popular acceptance and see Dungeons & Dragons recognized not just as a game, but also as a recreational tool to help people develop better relationships, better critical understanding of uh, math and storytelling and just general camaraderie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's very important, I think, to have a group like the Adventures League in place. So as people who m maybe aren't familiar with the game itself but see streams or see it mentioned somewhere, have an avenue to funnel into to actually learn the game as, as we've been talking about. Um, I know in the past some of the organized play campaigns um, were, were fun and they were popular, but they might not have been a high percentage of the players playing in that organized play campaign. Can you speak at all to maybe what percentage of overall D&D players might take part in Adventurers League or might come into the hobby um, with that as an avenue? Uh, are those numbers tracked at all, or do you know anything about them? There are some numbers that are tracked from Wizards of the Coast. Um, some of it is is guesswork, right? We, right? we don't have a strict reporting policy on Adventurers League play. Uh, but the tools that we do have at our disposal are like the member accounts for our various Facebook groups, our Twitter followers, uh, general customer service impressions. I talk to the Wizards customer service team every now and again. Uh, and just basically attending events and looking around to see who's there. So uh, going back and using Gen Con as an example, right? you had like 6,700 people, and that's a ton. And 
of those 6,700, I would hazard a guess that maybe maybe a quarter to a third of them were members of the Facebook group, the, the mm -hmm. primary one. Now, the primary Facebook group has 25,000 people in it, 26,000, somewhere in there right now. Uh, there's some fuzzy math involved, but if we look at like Reddit numbers and general discussion across uh, other avenues, I mean, we, we can safely assume that uh, Adventures League play is, is way high up there. Right. Uh, at a minimum six digit numbers and healthily into that range. Nice. Nice. And it's, it's funny because in my experience, you know, the, the higher percentage of people that are playing organized play campaign, the more involvement wizards wants to have with the campaign. So if, if it's a, if it's a small percentage, they tend to just ignore the campaign <laughs> in the past and say, you know, you're doing fine, do whatever you want. But as it becomes a more important touch point for players and the brand, then you're going to get more and more direction and more and more, I don't want to say interference because that's, that's not the right word. Uh, involvement, let's say more, more involvement from wizards itself. Uh, and, and our great boss, Mr. Chris Lindsay, of course. Exactly. Yeah. I came um, at the end of some of the three, five organized play and saw a little bit of, a little bit of that, that mentality. And then during the fourth edition days of living forgotten realms, for sure. I, I would agree. Uh, Adventures League, they've been they've been with us pretty much every step of the way, and when, even when they haven't been right there shoulder to shoulder, a lot of it's been like you guys are doing the right thing. Just keep us informed. Great, cool. Uh, I wanted to switch gears here a little bit and talk about the new season coming up, season eight. Um, can you give us a, a brief description of what's going on with season eight? Uh, yeah, just to, just as a story. Lisa, do you want to? Take that, or or you want to? Yeah. Okay. So people want to check out exactly what Edith Adventure is going to be about. We did just post uh, the descriptions and authors and release dates uh, for um, the first uh, bit of our adventures. There's more adventures that will be added, uh, and this season we're really focused on giving people uh, trilogies. Of adventures so like a little story arc that they can follow um, and it's really intertwined with some of the major historical figures uh, in Waterdeep uh, so I can say actually that I helped work on a trilogy that actually sends you into the past mm -hmm. uh, to see where uh, all of these characters came from okay. neat Yes. Now, is there a reason for going with that trilogy feel or, or that, that sort of paradigm? Um, Alan, maybe you can speak more to it, but I hazard a guess that we'd actually reached out to the community um, and asked, uh, sent them a feedback survey just before I joined as an admin. Um, but... Uh, uh, it asked about formats of adventures mm -hmm. and whether people liked the season four format, uh, which was like one long story arc or all adventures that could be played individually or if they liked trilogies, which is something everyone's tried in the past. But yeah, I don't know, Alan, if you can confirm that. And, and with the organized play structure, like people want to have a little bit of direction as far as like what their intended play order is. We can say, you should play adventures, you know, one all the way up through 10 and play them straight in a row. And that's well and good for a group that plays together all the time. Mm -hmm. But a pretty significant portion of our player base is the, uh, it, it's the, the gamers that get together for Gen Con or for their local event, or they know they're going to have the next couple of Fridays available to go to their local game shop and, 
can get together. Trilogies fill that niche very, very efficiently. It gives people a little bit of direction that lets them know like what comes next and helps set some of those expectations so that they can focus on just reveling in the story and those events. And they don't really have to think about like what's next on the road. Uh, you know, is, is it going to be related to the events that I'm doing here? They want to feel a sense of investment and ownership. And having these trilogies uh, encourages that because they, they have a reasonable expectation of seeing similar or possibly the same NPCs, uh, you know, related settings, and the, they'll have callbacks in I mean, parts two and three back to part one that will reference events that they've gone through or things that they've, they've survived or maybe things that they've done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that uh, in the past, like Bald Man Games, when they've been able to create their own content, either with Ashes of Athos or um, with the new CCC content, the trilogy fits perfectly into a normal convention day. You know, yes. three slots, three adventures, you start, you end, you're done, play with the same group, and it's, you know, it's a great experience. So I think it's a great idea, and I'm glad to hear that that's happening. And time travel, yummy. Who doesn't love time travel? It's so good. Yeah. Uh, Chris, did you have anything you wanted to, to ask? Uh, I, I, we're going to move on to asking them about, about Season 8. Can we ask them about Season 8? Can, what can you tell us about Season 8, uh, Lisa Allen, in that order? Lisa? <laughs> in, in terms of, specifically, what I want to know specifically is in terms of the hardcovers that are coming out, what are the tie-ins? Are they tightly tied in? Are they kind of loosely tied? No, no tie whatsoever? You got this one, Lisa? Um, now you can take it, Alan. <laughs> okay. So the uh, the hardcovers that are coming out, uh, a, a little bit of background on these. Uh, Dragon Heist is, uh, it's for levels 1 to 5, right? And it may not seem like a whole lot, but let me spill a little bit on you. There are a bunch of different ways to play this book. There is a lot of replay value and a lot of really cool information about Waterdeep embedded in the pages. And we drew our inspiration for the storyline, the, the, the PDF storyline, from the pages of that book. And we actually spent a, a good chunk of time at Origins during our, our annual meeting as, as admins and as story designers, really figuring out like where we want to see those things go and things that we want to have called out and called back to. Uh, as, as Lisa mentioned, we do have some chronomancy hiding in there. Uh, we've been dropping some hints about chronomancy and adventures here for a while now, and uh, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna hit ahead here with this one. So we're pretty excited. Uh, and then as we get further in and uh, November hits and we see Dungeon of the Mad Mage, things are going to get a little goofy. Uh, I say that lovingly uh, because the admins are actually, uh, each of us were part of the writing team behind the hardcover. So this is Undermountain. Like this is crazy, insane uh, uh, Halaster Black Cloak, the, it, like the, the, the Revenant Wizard essentially of, of uh, Waterdeep that the long-term gamers know and new gamers will get to discover and hopefully love uh, his, his playground. It's just full of awesome stuff. And the adventures that we're going to be working on for there are going to build off hooks that we've actually built into the hardcover. Uh, so in some cases, you're going to see like tunnels that lead off or uh, plot hooks that have been woven in and the, the adventure authors will be able to pick up on those or weave their own story hooks into the existing content. Uh, so it is all a pretty tightly interwoven season with a whole bunch of content and a lot of replayability. Uh, everything from level 1 all the way up to 20. Nice. Um, so season 8 will encompass both Waterdeep and Undermountain? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, and Dragon Heist comes out pretty soon, actually, like in a month or two. And then uh, when does uh, 
Yeah, the WPN release for uh, Dragon Heist is that first week of September. Yeah, and then uh, November is for the Dungeon or the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, or is that later? Yeah, it's uh, the Friday of Game Hold so like November tenth. Yeah, that's yeah that weekend. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there's an Eberron campaign coming too for AL, which is very exciting to me because it's it's a, one of my personal favorite things in all of gaming, not just D and D, because I love. A lot of different kinds of games, but um, so James Ver- was James Narcasso the one that was in charge of like organizing a lot of that stuff along with Keith Baker and whatnot, or is uh, I can't remember who was in charge of putting that together. Yeah, uh, so Keith Baker wrote and designed Eberron originally, and uh, he's been working with Wizards to get the Wayfinder's Guide up and published. So Wayfinder's Guide is up on DM's Guild right now. Uh-huh. That's the fifth edition intro to uh, to Eberron with a big focus on Sharn, uh, the city of towers, uh, Intracasso. Uh, he uh, he's super super excited, and he'd actually already gone and sort of plotted out an entire adventure arc, and it just in discussion amongst uh, all of us that were in that channel, uh, he shared some of his thoughts, and we all kind of bounced back on it. And by the end of the conversation, uh, he was in charge of the storyline, and we were writing adventures for him. <laughs> so. <laughs> He had James, a great idea, and we decided to support it. Yeah, James Intercasso is a prodigious project manager. Yes, mm-hmm. and I'm very happy to have worked with him. He's also just a really nice guy. I mean, he's one of my favorite yes. people in the in in all of podcasting and gaming. So, I'm really glad that he got to do that. That's that's fantastic. Um, I guess the first question I have is: Can in throughout this playing of uh, of this Eberron campaign, can characters bump jump back and forth between Eberron and the Forgotten Realms, or should you be making a specific character for Eberron? Um, the uh, Eberron cam- uh, campaign, it'll live under the umbrella of the Adventurers League, but it is separate from uh, the existing Adventurers League, um, partially because it's a totally different setting, uh, but also because uh, the Eberron rules are the uh, Adventurers League will be sort of helping to playtest what we find in Wayfinder's Guide. Uh, so you will need to create a separate character who will live in that setting. Fantastic. Yes. I actually love that a lot. That's great. Um, is the Wayfinder's Guy going to be the book that is like the plus one book that goes along with um, that campaign? We're not quite ready to reveal full rule stuff for Eberron. Oh, okay. uh, there is some really cool stuff inside Wayfinder's Guide, and I can't tell you that it will be allowed in there. Uh, but we'll, we'll have some more uh, like critical, crunchy uh, character creation rules coming up here really, really soon. So is this like the the test bed for how you might want to release settings in the future. Because, I mean, and we all know that Ravnica is coming um, later this year, too. And we have no idea how that plays into everything else, but it seems like a sort of like a, a central hub for, like, maybe plane hopping and whatnot. But um, I'm not going to speculate. I mean, I could speculate, but I don't know if I should. That that is the way that, that is the point of that book, is, like, to, to be, like, a planner nexus for, for being able to jump around into different worlds. But, um... Is this uh, is this your test bed for for maybe uh, how things might go in the future? Gosh, I oh no, go ahead. Oh, okay, I was gonna say I think that's something that like we want to hear some player input on, uh, you know, and, and what they think about it. Wizards is very very open to that sort of feedback, and everyone in the Wizards team, the the D and D team, is just as passionate about uh, playing these games as we are, and they they need to know like directly from the players, like what do the players want to see. Uh, Releasing it in a sort of like that play test, uh, playable format like we have here with Wayfinder's Guide, 
is really cool for some people, maybe not so awesome for others. And we want to gather we we want to gather input on how that process goes and how it feels for everybody. Uh, ultimately, it's going to be Wizards' call, and we don't really have a whole lot of conversations about other settings at this time. So, uh, who knows? So it might be just a let's gather feedback, see how this goes, and then we can make future plans from there if there are future plans. Try it for science. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I actually like the um, this idea of having a PDF that will constantly be updated because I mean, we live in a digital age, so it's not that hard to just keep updating this this product over the course of time right. with new things. I think it's a really clever way to go about it. Yeah, and Merles has been he's been very very open about it. Mike Merles from the D and D team has been very open about saying, you know, this will be print on demand when everything is ready. For now, buy in, play with it, tell us what you think. Sean, what do you want to do next? Uh, is there anything else that you would like to talk about in terms of this upcoming Ebron campaign? Um, you know, I know that oh, the, the information that we do know was released at Gen Con, so a lot of people may have been uh, kind of distracted <laughs> when it all came out. So we've got this series of, of adventures. Um, yes. is, is that the extent of what's going to be the campaign for now, or are there other plans, whether you can talk about them or not? Well, uh, a couple of quick things. Uh, we have the, like you said, we have the full adventure path, right? We've got the, the 10 adventures there. Uh, we have a, a level zero adventure, which is an adventure code of ELW, so Embers of the Last War-00. It is an optional adventure. It is intended for zero level characters, uh, in which you will actually be playing the NPCs that will be interacted with later in the campaign. Mm. So it helps introduce the setting. It introduces some rules and mechanics that are a little bit different from standard uh, D&D and standard uh, Adventures League content. Uh, you get familiarity with, uh, you know, villains and allies and, you know, how does an airship work? You'll see some of that. Uh, so that's, that was a, a, a gamble that we wanted to make and see how people react to it. You know, optional content to give some prologue. Um, okay. I think that's what... More, like, gilded up content coming. We just want to see what people are latching into and what they like. Okay, and what brilliant uh, designer was tasked to create that zero-level adventure? Uh, I think that came from a drunken ramble with James over Slack one night, or I made it up. <laughs> I was going to say, so so you you are doing the writing on that, correct? Uh, I did the writing actually. That that's already turned over. It's through layout. It uh, yeah, it's it's out there and it's waiting in the wings. Let's talk about that for a second. I, I want to talk about this idea because I, I absolutely love it. I mean, I'm a, um, I love storytelling, right? So like, and, and I'm a zero level character. Yes. Yeah, role playing games are <laughs> role playing games are vehicles for storytelling. This is um this is this is not a new idea in storytelling. It's kind of a new idea in D and D though. Like, so how did you uh how did you apply it? Like, where where did it, where did the the concept come from? You said it was a drunk rambling conversation with James one night. Like, well, but where why bring this out now? Because I love it. Honestly, this came out of a conversation I had with Lisa, uh, where we were talking about stuff. Yeah, you, you, pointing at yourself. Oh, yeah, this is a podcast. I'm pointing at myself. It's great for the visual <laughs> medium. It's, it's great for an audio medium. <laughs> I mean, I've got a face for radio, so it's okay. Uh, uh, Lisa and I were talking about Eberron one night, and she let on that she didn't have a whole lot of experience with the, the system, or with, with that setting, rather. And as I was thinking about things that we could put out through the Gilded App banner to help support and promote, Eberron, because like you said, it's a really cool world. Uh, I, I stepped out of 
my own head for a little bit and I, I took a hard look at what I was putting together and I realized I was making some assumptions about familiarity with that world. Uh, so by scaling back and focusing on thematic and environmental based encounters uh, and you know interactions, uh, I, I think that I was able to make them a little more meaningful and to help people kind of understand and onboard into that world a little more effectively than just grabbing dice, showing up and you know playing a fantasy game that just has a, a little more fantastic element. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, that's so funny that that came from our conversation because I was just about to say, Alan, that I love the concept of your introduction because I have very little experience with Eberron. Um, my experience with Eberron is um, a game where our Ravenloft characters got ported to Eberron, which is real, real different. Um, and we were so confused. We didn't know the words people were saying. We were like, what's the green fist? Silver what? <laughs> um, so that's an awesome way to introduce uh, that wonderful world to people. Well, I, I commend you for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's so many cool elements. I know after I started thinking about it, I realized when I first got exposed to playing in that world, it felt like I was drinking from the fire hose. There were so many things, and it was all so much larger than previous campaigns I'd played. I and mean, you've got airships and the gods are set up a little differently and fake organizations are different. Then you have Sharn, which is the massive city, which is kind of like other massive cities in other worlds, but then again, not at all. Um, goblins and hobgoblins have this huge, the eons long, you know, massive sprawling empire. Uh, the world is just, it's different enough to have some folks feel a little underwater with it. And I really wanted to kind of ease that introduction so with those zero level characters you don't have to really you're not looking at class abilities and such you have your racial abilities and the dm actually walks you through some of the like what is house civis what do they do how does an airship work and basically you start the game as an average joe uh, much like any other uh you know action movie or noir thriller it, you're you're not necessarily this super experienced soldier or gumshoe detective that's you know hard bitten because he's been on the you know he's been out in the field for 20 years doing this your guy looking to make a uh, guy girl whatever looking to make a couple of gold and uh that just sounds like an easy enough task until things aren't easy anymore oh i can't i cannot wait to see this adventure now me neither i'm, <laughs> I'm very excited the hype is real <laughs> yes it is and speaking of the hype being real, let's switch gears yet again and talk about the new AL rules for Season 8. Yeah. Uh, those were released in kind of a draft form um, yes. to, to pretty much either acclaim or just, yay, hey, cool, or a vocal few who shout about any change um, and have concerns. And some justified concerns, obviously, because everyone is invested in, in this campaign in different ways. Um, yes. So could you talk just briefly about the major changes that are coming um, with these new uh, rewards rules? Uh, the major changes uh, that were announced were about, um, like you said, like our reward system. And I feel like Wizards of the Coast was trying to shift the rewards in a, a direction to address a couple of things. Um, I think the main thing was they wanted a system that rewarded a broader variety of types of play. Uh, so people who 
an impression of the Adventurers League, especially among people who don't play the Adventurers League yet, uh, is that it's really rewarding for people who like to smash things and kill stuff, which is a big part of D&D, and I also love to do that. Um, but you'd be rewarded XP for monsters that you killed. And if you wanted to bypass conflicts through crafty ways or talk your way out of a fight, you weren't always rewarded for that creativity or playing the game in that way. Um, so instead of XP, we're shifting towards more of an objective and time-based uh, advancement checkpoint system. So no matter how you resolve a conflict uh, that you do, um, play through it in whatever way you want, you're rewarded for that. Okay. Well, I, I want to say, first of all, as an adventure writer, God bless you all. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh -huh. uh, because it, it can be very constrictive to have to put in a certain amount of experience points that can only be earned through uh, only be earned through combat, especially when players get grumpy if they don't get full XP from an adventure that they're planning on playing. So I am 250% behind this change as a player, as a writer, and just as a human being. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. I will second, third, and fourth this sentiment right there. <laughs> You know, when we first started talking about this a couple of years back uh, in the Edmonds, we were all gathered at Winter Fantasy, and the Edmonds were all at a table, and uh, we talked about the possibility of removing experience from the game and going forward with check marks. And I will admit, I was that guy who sat at the end of the table and was like, experience is a cornerstone of D&D. And then I started running other games, and I challenged myself to kind of think outside the usual lens, right, outside the usual box. And I found that if I was more focused on the environment of the game, I became less focused on channeling people into combat, doing all all those, you know, usual methods for gaining experience. It worked out so much better. All I had to do was try it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what other changes to rewards are coming? Uh, I believe we're paying everyone in uh, shiny fake nickels. Is that, uh, is yeah, that correct, Lisa? Seems about right. <laughs> that's what I've heard. <laughs> Um, I, so uh, all of these changes, uh, I mean, uh, they are a modified version of what is in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, that chapter on official play, which in turn is based off of feedback Wizards of the Coast and the Adventurers League have received about our official play campaign over the years, uh, and also different things that they've observed. Um, another... Uh, big issue I feel like they were trying to tackle was that there's a lot of feedback of, I have like a million gold, but I don't have anything to spend it on. So there's something fundamentally whack about the economics of the Adventurers League. So how gold is rewarded uh, has also been adjusted. There's less gold, um, and it's also rewarded uh, when you level up. Okay. Right. And That's it's way more in line with the cost of goods as we see them in the player's handbook. Uh, so just because you finish an adventure, even at you know lower levels, you know five hundred gold or two hundred fifty gold, even like that's a massive amount of money when yes. you consider that you know lodgings and your your daily taking care of yourself budget as as a regular person in the realms is like two silver. Mm -hmm. Right. 
I, I always think that as I'm writing an adventure and putting treasure in, whether it's for Adventures League or otherwise, I'm always thinking, oh, you, you know, your third level, you find this art piece of art worth 500 gold pieces. And I'm like, that feeds a family of 12 forever <laughs> in the realms. You know, so it, it is a little bit out of it. And what about oh, sorry, what about magic items? Uh, yeah, I'm curious about this. I hear there's like points for magic items now, and so like there's like a list of items that you can purchase from if you have enough points. But there's also going to be more specialized type items found in certain adventures, but not like all over the place like they used to be. Oh well, uh, the shift is that the adventures that you play, they'll still have a magic item that the group finds, but instead of one person in the group getting the item and everyone having to argue or go through their magic item counts and debate who deserves that item. Uh, everybody at the table adds it to uh, their list of unlocked treasure and you gain treasure points. So you could, at that table, if you have enough treasure points, buy that item um, so that your character actually finds it then and there. Um, but also in the future, when you've earned more treasure points, if you want to go back, and acquire that, you're able to do that. And that lets people get more items that are actually useful for their character instead of a lot of tables would end up having someone just take the item to have it, to maybe trade later, yeah. um, just because they didn't want to leave it on the table. Right, that's that was a very common bit of feedback that we got. It was the, uh, it's actually twofold. One, someone might get to a high level, you know, meaning you know seven, eight, nine, or above, and not have any magic items because someone else would show up and they would always be lower on the magic item count uh, and, and they would just get it by default and all they're going to do is trade it away. So this person is now like 7th, 8th, or ninth. They've been waiting for some key item that is explicitly helpful for their, their build. You know, the warlock doesn't necessarily want to get a plus one dagger or magic plate mail, uh, but when their rod or wand that they can use happens to be there. Like, that's what they want. Someone else is just snaking it from them and trading it. And that devalues the play experience for, for more than just that one player. Oh, that's clever. Uh, I it's, mean, it's behavior that we wanted to navigate away from. Yeah, it's like you uh, you basically unlock this list of items that you will, as you play through adventures, and then you can, if you don't want it, you just get a point, you get some points for it, and then you can use that to buy stuff later, as long as it's in your tier, right? Yep, you'll have, we'll have it all detailed out, yeah. but uh, you have like your evergreen unlock list, and then as you gain levels, you can add extra things in at certain points, and you'll be able to kind of pick and choose like what it is that you want to purchase. So uh, you, you're going to have to budget. Those choices become very, very important, especially at high levels. But yeah, like all the flavor-filled stuff is still going to be there. Nice. That's cool. I like that a lot. I, I wasn't quite understanding how it was going to work, and now I do, and that's uh, that sounds way better. Um, than, than what I thought it was. So uh, actually, I didn't have a problem with the way it was before anyway. So I mean, I actually thought it was it was going to be fine. It's way better than I think what the current system is. But that means that uh, probably Phi Chen's goes away then, right? Oh, Phi Chen is just changing his business model. Oh, it's the business <laughs> model then. He's, he's a creative guy, let me tell you. In fact, by that, I mean, I think Lisa has news. I guess... I'm not sure like what we're ready to share. A lot of what Fichens has in terms of like the really fun and interesting trinkets and um, fun pets with all different personalities and names, all of that fun stuff that people love to get from Fichens, I believe we're still will still be there. Uh, but there's different. I guess I'll reveal that maybe there's more of an interactive component. 
activities yeah. maybe um, that uh, we're working on, which is going to really change how Chen's feels, I think, in an extra fun way. So rather than just being a big long line at a table where people are elbowing each other and then being very upset when the thing they wanted is gone, you're going to make it more of an event? Yes. Uh, so it, like you're saying, it won't be just a single long line where everyone walks up, looks at the same pool of stuff, then moves on. Uh, you, could, you could potentially spend, you know, 30 minutes meet with meaningful interactions uh, when you get there. So it, it will require a little more overhead from convention organizers and you know they're, they're not beholden to run it that way. We, we can have some uh, smaller scale stuff available as well, but we are really, really excited for the more meaningful interactions and the, the deeper exploration of some things that we've wanted to do for a while. When, when do we get to find out about how this all works? Because you know I run a convention in September and like I'd, I'd really like to, <laughs> to like role play some Fai Chen stuff out or be at least Fai Chen's assistant, that'd be fun. Are you talking about Queen City Conquest yeah, where Lisa Chen will be a guest? Yeah, Lisa Chen will be a guest in the QCC. I'm so excited. So. <laughs> Excellent. Speaking uh, of someone who's been to Queen City, that's a good time. So, uh, so yeah, when are we going to, do we have a, an idea about, about when or these changes might roll out for at least fry trends and things like that? Completely. We have a lot of irons in the fire right now. Fei Chen will likely be one of the final things we roll out as we sneak up on the launch of season eight. Okay. Um, I guess, is there anything changing about the adventure formats and how we're going to see them as uh, as game, as dungeon masters? And uh, will the players feel any of those changes? Yes. <laughs> uh, we are... Let me follow up with uh, what are those changes? Like, what are those things? And can you expound upon that? <laughs> We're writing them all in binary now, so cool. Uh, so that means computers can process <laughs> zero zero one zero one zero. It's like four forge theme from here on out. We're really buying the Navaron. <laughs> oh, that's that's good stuff. Uh, but for serious, we uh, yeah we are changing the format of the adventures. If you played Rachma, the launch event for Morden Canons, uh, you might have seen that uh, if you were the DM. Where like we're trying to get away from having everything be this outpouring of box text and everything being hyper detailed and we want to just kind of get back to basics where it's here's a brief bit of description here are some things that can happen in this particular encounter or set of encounters and then uh, maybe a little sidebar that says you know like if the players choose to be combative in this thing that's supposed to be exploratory here are some thoughts and if they want to you know explore the area instead of fight here are some thoughts uh, we want to give the, the DM a, a lot more freedom. Like We're, we're trying to decouple experience from uh, just killing and murder-hoboing your way across the realms, so we want to support that as much as we can. And kind of unshackling the words is really where it, where it needs to happen. It sounds like you're creating encounters in Sharn, the uh, Guild Adept product that was released, I think also uses that format. Yes, it does. Cool. It sounds like you're creating frameworks for adventures instead of creating these more like um, I don't know web maps. I don't. I, they always felt so like you said they were a little too detailed, a little too const uh, like here's a thing that's supposed to happen, and now you're just building out these um these spaces for creativity for the the dungeon masters to do their thing and then interact with the players. Yeah, we've talked about them a little bit, like a toolkit. We give you all the tools you need for a really fun time. We'll give you NPCs and different monsters that might be in different rooms and maybe some elements in the environment. Um, but there's a lot more freedom and empowerment um, in the DM to flesh out 
those encounters and react to characters' choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Rockmo adventure is. I really liked that format a lot. I'm like that. I like that you're going to be using that in the future for adventures league stuff. I think that's fantastic because you get things like objectives and goals and other features and just like little bits of information about what's kind of going on with the the adversaries or the area, and then let the players explore that in the game master improvise um, what's going on around that constraint. Do you see there? Oh, I was just saying, do you see there being any trouble with Adventures League DM specifically being able to pick that up? Because it is a different way of DMing. Um, so are there going to be any you know, um, instructional videos or any talks or anything like that to or is it just go you know go watch streaming and see how they do it? <laughs> no, no, no. We don't want to leave people out in the cold. Uh, Travis and I have actually talked about doing a, a sort of an informal, casual closed-door discussion with our designers to help them communicate a lot of that stuff out. Uh, we're sort of in the midst of working that out, but uh, I really like the idea of doing a more public discussion, even if it's just recorded and, and broadcast so we can show the highlights. Uh, but really, like, a lot of that direction comes from Travis because he's got such a uh, such, such a, a, a impactful hand when it comes to delivering that content. Uh, I, I would defer to his, to his I can't speak today, his decision in that regard. Uh, but I mean, anyone who's got questions, they're always welcome to get a hold of you know, me or Lisa. And I mean, we've got experience with the format. We're always happy to chat. I think it would be great to show a variety of DMs running the same adventure mm-hmm. in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to, just to A, teach DMs that it can be done, but B, make DMs feel like they have the permission of the Adventures League to run things in, you know, in a way that's fun that might not be written in gospel on the page. It would be really cool with that first trilogy to pick the whole trilogy or either like one of the adventures and interview a bunch of DMs about how their tables went and what their tables did and uh, then have an article that kind of shows tidbits side by side so you can see how all tables maybe ran it differently. I like That'd that. Be quite cool. Yeah. Sean, I, uh, I have no other questions about the season eight stuff. Do you? Nope, I don't. I just wanted to ask one more question, and that is about a streaming show that you two are involved in. Is yes. that is that is happening, or it will it will be happening? It's already started. It's already started. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> This is Lisa's brainchild. I am merely her puppet for this. Oh, I gosh, I was thinking of something else. There's too many secrets in my head. Adventures <laughs> Wanted are, I'm so excited. This is actually Sean's fault. I think it was after Beholder launched, maybe, that Sean was like, well, Adventures League should totally have a podcast if Lisa's doing podcasts. Um, and then I started talking behind the scenes with Chris Lindsay about, well, what about a Twitch talk show where we can discuss changes coming to the Adventures League because we know that there's a lot of changes in season eight, which maybe would be helpful to discuss in length um, or announcements or um, talking about uh, con or community-created content being released or conventions coming up and have another way to spotlight the things that our community is doing. Um, so that, actually, that is now a monthly show on the DD Twitch every fourth Friday of the month at 11 a.m. Pacific time. 
Uh, and Alan and I go through all of those announcements. We maybe do a deep dive into a particular topic. Um, but we also do a community spotlight interview uh, with someone. In our first episode, which is on the D&D YouTube, uh, we spoke with uh, Matt Peterson from Montreal because they're doing some really cool event organizing there. Awesome. So, so you've had one release so far, and the next one will be released at the end of August. Is that how it works? Yes. Sweet. Yes. So if people want to get involved with uh, Adventures League Play, they can go to dndadventuresleague.org. Is there any other places that they should go to, uh, Alan or Lisa? Our, our Twitter account, we've got our uh, primary Facebook groups. Those are great ways to get a hold of not only us, but also the larger community. Uh, everyone is very, very interactive. Yeah, on Facebook, look up D&D Adventures League, or if you are a Dungeon Master, D&D Adventures League DM discussions. Um, and on Twitter, you can follow us at D&D underscore ADV League. Nice. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Alan and Lisa, for coming into the show and, and talking about AL with us for the past 40-ish minutes. Uh, it's, I hope everybody out there in listener land enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. Sean, do you have any final words? Uh, no, uh, thank you both for coming on. I love Adventures League, and I love the work that you're doing, so keep it up. Uh, Alan, where can people find you on the internet? For me, I am on Twitter. That's at Warfiner, uh, or Facebook. Just go to one of the D&D AL groups and just look at the moderators, and my uh, my horrible face will be there. <laughs> Lisa, where, where can we find you on the internet? I'm super active on Twitter. You can find me at MercifulDM, and I also have a website, LisaChen.com. Fantastic. Uh, now let's do a few Patreon shots before we get out of here. Uh, thank you, patrons, so much. Troy Pigelman, Wayne Peterson, Jason Petray, Don Hugh McCarthy, Nate Brooms, Evil Rich, James Andricasso, John Just John, Jean Lobert, Steve Bissonette, Steve Amer. I got your name right this time, Steve, because I actually met you and you told me what it was. Space Rhino, Ryan Bolter, Jonathan Lavalier, Chelsea Clark, Robert Day, Matthew Petzer. Petra Rusley, Dan Simmons, and and that's it. Uh, speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes, and you get access to our Slack room for life. Uh-huh. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Those reviews help, even if you're not listening via Apple Podcasts, because it, other podcatchers use that to rate and rank their shows and help make us more visible. So, Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Sean Merwin or on the Download D&D G Plus community. How about you, Chris? Uh, you can hit me up at Misdirected Mark. This is the network and this show's Twitter. Or on the website where you can catch other great shows, such as Zhang Yu Hustle. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz and Zhang Yu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their Kung Fu stronger by watching Musha films and then discussing how to, uh, discussing how to apply their observations to game design. Download D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So uh, are we are we asking our guests? Is this what we're Let's doing? ask our guests what we are going to do now. So yeah, Lisa, what, Lisa, Alan, what are we going to do now? Normally, I'd say let's go kill some more monsters. But yeah, let's go ahead and do that. All right, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> you done with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You done with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You done with D and D? Yeah, you know me. Who's done with D and D? You done with D and D? Down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D?